You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey, everyone. Tim McMaster here, along with our MLB.com Red Sox reporter, Ian Brown. Ian, Red Sox, Yankees, and it felt like old times on Tuesday night to kick off this series. You had benches clearing. You had chants from the hometown crowd taunting a player from the other team. You had a stressful ninth inning for a closer. I mean, it, it felt like we were back in, in 2003, 2004 just for one night. But at the end of the day, the Red Sox pick up a big win, 5-3. to three. It was maybe more stressful than it needed to be down the stretch. But let's just break down the game a little bit. And you got to start with the benches clearing because this seemed like maybe overkill. It seemed unnecessary after a big throw from Jackie Bradley Jr. to get Chase Headley at third base. Maybe something is said, and then suddenly, I feel like if it's two other teams, everybody kind of stays put. But with Red Sox-Yankees, suddenly the bullpens are on the field. Yeah, you know, I actually liked it because, uh, look, I think some of us have been missing that edge that you always have with, with Red Sox-Yankees. And it seems like every time somebody tries to say this rivalry is dead or it's not what it used to be, you get a night like last night, which just reminds you of what it, what it could be like. And, look, this rivalry is always going to be there. It might go through, um, you know, some peaks and valleys, but, you know, the way I look at it, it's always going to be there, I think. Last night, uh, Porcello got heated for whatever reason. Maybe he felt like uh, Headley was peeking in at the signs and uh, maybe felt like Headley knew it was coming when he hit that ball. And uh, that's why he apparently said something to him when he uh, when he was tagged out at third. So I'm really not quite sure what happened. Neither player uh, really wanted to talk about it. But, you know, order was quickly restored. And uh, it was good, I think, to see a little bit of fire on both sides of the field there. To be honest, if it, if that was the deal, I'll I'll never understand that, Ian. Uh, what's wrong with so he got his got the signs? Good good for him would be my response, but I know baseball and and there are unwritten rules and and all that kind of thing. But you mentioned Porcello and how good has this guy been lately? He actually, uh, I think I saw a stat: the tenth pitcher in the last forty years to win 100 games before his 28th birthday. I think that's what it was, which says a lot about what he's done in his career, both Detroit and Boston. But 15 wins this season. He's been great at home for this team, and they've needed somebody to step up with Stephen Wright struggling a little bit, David Price having his big inning issues still, and, and Rick Porcello has done that. Yeah, Price has been an absolute horse for this team. I mean, he has been uh, huge for this team. And to me, the interesting thing, Tim, is I feel like they've also played their best baseball in nice Porcello pitches. I don't know if it's because he's working at a fast tempo and sort of pounding the zone, but um, they also seem to hit pretty well when he pitches, too. So they just seem to click on all cylinders. Uh, it was the perfect way to kick off a homestand after kind of a long road trip there with Porcello and the bats coming alive. A little bit of, you know, five runs, nothing huge, but uh, the bats did look a little bit better than they did on the trip. So, uh, yeah, you can't say enough about what Porcello's done, particularly at Fenway this season. As good as he was through eight innings, wow, what a ninth it became with Craig Kimbrell just not being able to find the plate. Um, Four walks, he walks in a run, and then I think you have to give credit to John Farrell for having the guts to go out there and get him, to just realize that, you know what, this guy just doesn't have it tonight. He can't find the plate, and before this game gets away from us, because that was a game this team couldn't lose, he goes out, gets him, brings in Matt Barnes, Barnes with a huge strikeout to end the game. Um, did you think Farrell would go and get him at, at some points during that ninth inning, or a lot of yeah, managers I mean, stick with the to closer? a point where he's two pitches away from his career high in pitches. Right. And when you watch four, I mean, it's obvious that he just doesn't have it. And it seemed like on um, the issue after the game, it seemed like, uh, you know, that knee was, 
was feeling a little bulky. You know, we've got to remember, it's only a month out since he had surgery, and they, they, I think they did kind of rush him back to the fray here. Um, there's going to be some days where it's a little achy. I think that he just couldn't really get it planted um, into the ground, into the mound there. So you just got to be careful with him and make sure you don't overdo it and uh, listen to what his body is telling him. And, you know, at the same time, he's got to be up front with the training staff maybe before the game and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling it today. Maybe I shouldn't pitch today. So I think there's just going to be a little communication on both sides to sort of navigate this thing and uh, as he continues to distance himself from the surgery. Yeah, and I'm sure he feels pressure to, to do what you just said because with Koji out and, you know, there aren't a lot of other closing options. Obviously, Ziggler's there now. They can turn to him. But I'm sure Kimbrell's like, I'm not going to be the guy that says I can't go in this game. I, this team needs me. Um, and he tried, but he just didn't have it. But – they win it anyway, and, and beyond the struggles of Kimbrell in the ninth, we also had the A-Rod chance in the ninth, Ian, and, and that was fascinating. And, and this whole series is going to be fun, I think, kind of building up to Thursday when A-Rod is supposed to actually be in the lineup. Who knows what's going to happen at Fenway with that. But you get the chance of we want A-Rod in the ninth inning, and maybe those are smart chants when you consider how A-Rod's been playing this season. But the fans would have loved to see a pinch hit situation. That's something that's not going to happen. Um, but but still fun at Fenway. Yeah, no, it was a great atmosphere. And look, I think that uh, you know the fans are going to miss A Rod because they enjoy <laughs> the passion that he brings to them, and where he's one of those players. He's a real lightning rod, and he and he has everyone on their feet booing. And uh, they get they, you know they're going to miss that aspect of it. So I thought it was kind of cool that they were sort of uh, urging them to bring him into the game. I'm going to be real curious to see. Um, you know, what that reaction is like on, on the Thursday night when he does play. You know, I was thinking maybe boost the first few at-bats, and if it looks like it's going to be the, uh, the last at-bat in the game, you know, maybe they, they take the high road and give him some cheers and say, hey, thanks for, uh, you know, you kind of brought out the best in this rivalry at times with the passion you brought um, from the fans. So, you know, um, it's going to be a fascinating night on Thursday for sure. Yeah, and beyond just what he did in the rivalry on the field, just his arrival in New York when he was supposed to end up in Boston added so much to this rival back, rivalry back in 2004. And I've seen a lot of things written about now that he's announced that he's retiring, you know, what would have happened if he had ended up with the Red Sox way back then. So it's definitely going to be interesting. It'll be a lot of fun, of course. Thursday he'll play at Fenway, and then his final game with the Yankees will be at Yankee Stadium on Friday. The other big story from Tuesday night's game was the continuing hot streak of Andrew Benintendi to start out his career. As he goes three for three, his second three-hit game already, Ian. He's now batting 500, and he missed his first career home run by maybe an inch in center field. Yeah, this guy can really hit. You know, <laughs> you know, you see a 22-year-old kid who is, you know, 14 months removed from the draft still, from being drafted seventh overall, and, he, and he's showing you why. And he's showing you that the stage is not too big for him, um, either from a mental standpoint or a physical standpoint. And uh, it's nothing but impressive what, what he's done. He's earned a lot of respect from his teammates already. He's earned a lot of respect from opponents. He's, you know, for a 22-year-old kid to just kind of stay with himself and not try to do too much, uh, to me that, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. He's going to get to celebrate his first career home run twice, basically, because he did go around the bases on Tuesday night. He got all the hugs from the team, and then they review it. They rule it a double. He has to go back to second base. But eventually he's going to hit another one, uh, and he'll get to go through that whole thing again. It'll be interesting to see what the team does when he hits his second first career home run. Um, so mostly positive vibes here, Ian, but Blake Swihart, we find out, is having season-ending ankle surgery. And I feel like this is something that, 
kind of saw coming. And I know way back when this injury initially happened, you kind of had your doubts as to whether or not we'd see Blake Swihart again in 2016. Yeah, yeah, it was such a, it was such a bad uh, injury. Just you could tell just looking at it, this wasn't just a regular sprained ankle. I'm sure the diagnosis was a little more um, intense than the way they just you know sometimes they downplay the diagnosis. But uh, yeah, that, that was a bad injury. Um, so you know, look, they tried to go the conservative route and not operate on it and see if he could get back. Uh, he wouldn't have been close to 100 percent this year anyway. Uh, so I think it's probably just best that you go get this thing taken care of. And look, uh, with Ben Intendi's emergence. Tim, I really think that you're looking at Blake Swihart as a catcher next year again. Um, and you'd love to get him back to where he's feeling good about himself uh, behind the plate as well as at it. Uh, catchers who can hit in this game are, are truly valuable. And just the way this roster is constructed, um, it's clear right now that his best value to them in the long term right now is as a catcher, not as a left fielder. So you hope that uh, he can get that foot 100% healthy and be ready to go. How much will it help him as far as roster spot being a catcher? Obviously, you have Vasquez as well. Um, just... David Ortiz retires, and suddenly there is that opening at DH as well to kind of rotate guys through. Does that help Swihart stick on the major league roster as a young catcher who then doesn't have to always be behind the plate when you have another young catcher who's a better catcher? Yeah, that's an interesting scenario, too. You could uh, see a, a place where maybe Blake kind of rotates around a little bit. Uh, between catcher and DH, or maybe even learns another position like first base as well as outfield, and then maybe he turns himself into sort of a super utility if there's no clear lineup spot for it. But these are all things that they'll get to in the coming weeks and months. Right now, they just have to get him completely healthy again. Did the Red Sox see this coming as an obvious eventuality when they called up Benintendi when they did? Um, if they thought Swihart would be back at some point, maybe soon, would they have let Benintendi play in the minors a little longer, do you think? No, I think the Ben and Sandy thing was more, um, I think by that point they had already kind of felt that Swihart wasn't coming back. And the main trigger for Ben and Sandy was they tried to get Carlos Beltran in the trade with the Yankees and uh, maybe, who knows, tried to get some other left fielders too, a more veteran type so you don't have to pressure the kid. And they just they just couldn't find a match. So once they, found that, once they figured out they weren't going to be able to add anyone, they said, all right, it's time to throw the kid into the fire and, uh, and see what he's got. But I think at that point uh, they were no longer counting on Ben and Sandy. Yeah. Or on, I'm sorry, on uh, Blake Swihart. And now you look back on that, and, and sometimes it's a blessing when trades don't happen because it seems like uh, it's Andrew Benintendi's time right now. We're just witnessing the beginning. Let's, let's see what happens with the adjustments, obviously. Pitchers are going to adjust. We're going to have to see how Benintendi adjusts. But what a tremendous start to the youngster's career. This has been MLB.com Extras, our Red Sox edition. For Ian Brown, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next week. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.